Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 427. How are you surviving lockdown, TK? Good. Yeah, having a bit of fun, actually, just staying at home for as, for as long as I can. <laughs> uh, we, had a, we had a COVID case in the building last week who had to be taken out by ambulance to the hospital, so yeah. I am not wanting to even go downstairs at the moment. You're like me. That was a week ago. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of love the whole lockdown thing. I'm, I'm thinking it's great. Oh, yeah. Don't have, don't have to make excuses for just staying home and being a hermit. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit like that too. And like the golf courses are open here, but the lights, I don't really feel like going out and even venturing out into public places, yeah, right. even though it's probably safe. Uh, yeah. Jenny worked out. She pointed out to me it's the second time now I've been one hour away from someone with COVID. Last year at the National, I was an hour away from when the person had COVID. And then this time I was in the coffee shop downstairs, I was one hour, one hour away from the person with COVID. So I think I'm on borrowed time here. <laughs> one, one hour Kyniston, that's what we'll start calling it. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we, get into, before we get into other news, I know you've got some stuff you need to talk about. I want to talk about our end of financial year final report, Tony. Mm. 48.42% according to Nevexa versus the ASX 200, 28.48%. So about 20 points, not, not exactly double, a little bit less than double uh, the ASX 200. I'm not sure about the All Lords, generally speaking, what it did. Any idea what the All Lords did? The All Lords accumulation index was 30.2%. 30.2%. Okay. Mm. All right. So we didn't double it, but uh, it was obviously a, a best year on record I read in the financial review yeah. for the All Odds. Correct. Uh, but we outperformed it quite nicely. Looking good. Uh, yeah. So it was a good year. Did you have a good year in your portfolio? I did. Um, not as good as a dummy portfolio, but um, beat the index on a gross basis. We're um, we're taking more money out of the portfolio now because we're Jenny doesn't have an income, so that's um, 
hitting us on a net basis. But, yeah, gross was good. You're living on it, yeah. Good stuff. Well, I uh, hope everyone else uh, everyone else out there had a good year. If you've been investing for a year, I know we've had some reports come in from some of our longer-term club members that had great years, but uh, there's probably more stories that we haven't heard. So if, you've, if you want to, share them with us confidentially or publicly on the Facebook group or just shoot us an email if you want to keep it confidential. Uh, we'd love to hear how you did, but uh, it was certainly a good year for us. Now, uh, to lessen to, to other not so good news, uh, VUK, Tony. What's going on with VUK? <laughs> well, it's dropped again below its, its uh, sell line today. So I'll just call it up. Um, the sell price was, I think, uh, 366. And where that finished today, and today being Wednesday, the 7th of July, I should say. Uh, so. Virgin UK finished at 357, down 2.7% today, so a bit of a drop. So we bought yeah, it, so we gonna- sold it, we bought it again, <laughs> uh, we're going to sell it again. Correct. And I'm going to sell it too from my portfolio unless something changes in the next day or so. So I'll give people 24 hours notice. When does this go out, Cam? Uh, it'll probably go out tomorrow. So, uh, yeah. Friday, probably it'll have been out for 24 hours. Okay. Well, I'll I'll hang off till Friday um, unless Virgin drops through the floor, but I don't think it will. may even bounce back. Um, Yeah, so I'll I'll be selling. uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to buy yet, and it's pretty hard to predict what will happen on Friday, but uh, I was thinking of a couple of things, so I'll I'll outline my options. Uh, I own some shares in Remelius, which is probably next thing on my list to buy but I don't have a full position in those because I've had them for a long time and the portfolio was smaller. So I'll probably add to Remelius. Uh, and I may buy some Adairs or some back into JB Hi-Fi again, which are the next ones on my list. Right. Uh, just looking at both Adairs and JB Hi-Fi, I'll, I'll see how they go. Adairs is in a bit of a, uh, a downturn at the moment, even though it's above its byline, so I may wait for that one. And... JB Hi-Fi is a bit similar, so we'll see if they turn up. Uh, if, if that's the case, I don't decide to buy those. Silver Lake Resources is the next one on the buy list, which is big enough for me to, to grab some. Same thing as Remelius. I already have a small uh, parcel of these, so I'll add to it. But anyway, that's that's what's likely to happen on Friday for me. Not financial advice. People make their own decisions. No, I'm I'm talking. I'm giving people this notice, so it's it's more about transparency. So I'm not seen to, mm. you know, uh, mention a stock and then you know, as people start to buy it. Well, if if I already own it and I've mentioned it, and people start to buy it, that helps me, which I don't is not the whole idea of this. And uh, I'm giving people plenty of time to get their own positions set before I make a trade myself. But right. uh, yeah. Um, not sure what it'll be, but it'll be in that sort of set. And then for the dummy portfolio too, I think we need to replace Virgin UK. And I think the next one for us is Millennium Services. I did a download today to work out what I was going to do. And uh, MIL What's is that code stock code. That? Oh, sorry, MIL. Yeah. It's it's the second item on the list after my last download with this QAV score of 1.32. Uh, it's pretty small though. It's only got an average daily trade of the amount of $10,000, but that's big enough for us to put into the dummy portfolio. 
Right. Hmm. Very good. Uh, unless VUK goes back up and we buy a third time <laughs> in as many weeks. It's possible. And that's actually an issue, I think, with uh, some of these stocks now that we're looking at, you know, double bottoms and and I guess that means that the the sell line is much steeper than it has been. And Top so I should bonds. also say too that this is not just happening with Virgin UK, but it was happening with the other banks. So uh, let's have a look. Westpac Banking and NAB are also have also crossed their sell lines today. Uh, but again, they're all pretty steep. These sell lines they're sort of following the the upward trend. So uh, they may Virgin UK. Uh, Westpac and NAB may all reverse and go back into buy territory soon, but they're all skirting around their sell lines and those three have crossed, so I'm taking them out of the the uh, top scorers list as of today. Right, right. Well, on the, in other news, Maya has uh, been a good one for <laughs> Taylor and myself. Uh, you know, we bought good into timing. that a few weeks ago. I think it's up 33% or mm. something in the last few weeks. Thanks to Solomon Liu deciding that uh, he wanted to increase his stake, and I think he's trying to f- get the board fired today. <laughs> I read. Oh, he's been doing that for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, either that or he's a closet QAV member. Yeah, could be that. <laughs> he's like sure. Welcome, he's following Solly. a well-worn playbook he did with Country Road springs to mind, but there's other retailers that he's been been involved in. Uh, he'll take a stake, criticise the board, agitate for board seats, uh, slowly increase the stake but never launch a takeover. So we'll see what happens. But, yes, yeah, it's sort of fuse under Maya. His buying, you know, I think highlights to a lot of fund managers that there's a lot of value in Maya, um, which is, I think, also happening, which is good. Yeah. Well, I know they've they've been closing stores and I've read articles about they're under pressure from online retailing, which apparently – after you left, they gave up on that. Uh, but it's, you've got to wonder why they're not leading the country in online retailing. Like we, we had Absolutely. Joel talking about that a couple of years ago, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, look, it's look, it's 15 years ago now since I worked there, but the culture was very much back then that online retailing would only ever amount to a one or two percentage of sales. And the feeling was that you were better off opening a new store than investing the money in an online platform if mm. it was going to be that small. But now that, especially since COVID, I guess, um, they're up probably around 15% of sales, so it's a meaningful number for them. And mm. they're scrambling to, to catch up. bit late. Yeah. And um, an interesting thing is Solly Lou was probably the biggest proponent on the Coles Mile board anyway at that time of, you know, oh, all this online stuff's never going to work. It's just a load of shit. Mm. You know, mm. I've been a mm. rag. I've been a rag trader all my life. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. You mm. buy stuff. You open a store. You sell stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, you anyway, were trying so to tell him. You were trying to tell him this time it's different, and he was like, "No, nah, it probably isn't." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the roles reversed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and anyway, to be, I hope- and to be fair, I mean, mm-hmm. he's probably embraced it now since I left. He's probably embraced it um, in. His own other businesses, like I know Smiggle and, and Peter Alexander do a lot of e, e- trade. So yeah, mm. He, mm. he probably understands it all now. Mm. Well, or at least his managers um, do. Yeah. Well, it's had a good run the last couple of weeks. So Taylor's yeah, pretty well happy done. about that. Good timing. That's great. 
Well, I keep pointing out to Taylor, what, what goes up can come down. Like, don't get, your, mm. don't get too excited. It can yeah. come back down in the next week. You never know. But uh, so far, so good. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to stock of the week, uh, which I'm going to say is Grange Resources. Again, not a, not a tip to buy, but caught my eye. It's, uh, it's jumped up quite a lot in the last few days. It's been on the buy list for all. It's been in our, it's been in our dummy portfolio uh, since November last year when we put it in at 28 cents and it's now at 68 cents. So it's um, it's getting up there. It's going to be one of our better performers, I think, in, a, in over the 12-month period. Wow. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with Grange. There's no news. The only thing I could dig up through internet searches were that they had a mine approval. So that could be people are sort of realising that the mine approval means that they're going to expand or at least have a longer mine life with their current operations. But, yeah, it's been been increasing quite quickly. It's gone up 10.5% today. Yeah, so something's going on. I imagine they'll have to make an announcement soon over that kind of increase, but uh, at, as yet, don't know what it is. No, up 165% no, um, since we bought it. That's incredible. Yeah, no announcements that um, management are making yet, but something's got to happen. Mm, good stuff. So Grange Resources, even though it's gone up, what are you scratching there? <laughs> Sorry, I just scratched my arm. <laughs> Around about uh, when I had like, my COVID shot. <laughs> uh, yeah, so even though it's gone up uh, 165% since we bought it in November, it's your stock of the week still you think it's uh, still scores well? Yeah, it does. Um, let me just call it up. Let me have a look. Yeah, so it is still scoring 0.27. Right. That's good. I did did my download this morning, so it won't have that last some of that last jump in it, but it did, it did have some. Right. Mm. What else you got in the new that you want to talk about, uh, TK? Uh, just couple of things uh, what do I have so someone asked a question last week about what do I do between reporting seasons and I talked about what I did but I had kind of like kept track of what I did over the last week just so I could be a bit more accurate just wanted to add to that answer so apart from reading the fin review every day uh, I also look at uh, Alan Kohler's Eureka report weekend update I'll read that. So generally for me, if there's nothing else on, and there usually isn't, Sunday, sort of Sunday morning in particular is a good time for me to catch up on all the, the you know, emails and uh, articles I didn't get to during the week. So I usually read the um, the weekend update from the Eureka Report on the weekend. I like skipping through Stephen Main's column once a week. So he he's also in the Eureka Report. He generally reports on capital raisings and takeovers and things like that, which can be interesting for background reasons. And it's always good to dig into the machinations of, of you know, companies and what they do. So that's something I'll glance through. I listen to Your Money Cafe uh, probably most weeks. It's a podcast. Only goes for half an hour usually. Uh, and it's split recently. So it used to be Alan Kohler and James Kirby, and now they've split and gone their separate ways. They both have podcasts called Your Money Cafe. Uh, I'll um, occasionally take in once a week Stock Doctor will put out a um, video recording on a Friday afternoon. So I generally just do a scan of the email and see if there's a company in there which um, I own or is of interest and and just at least listen to that part of their, their video. So that's occasionally I'll do that. 
Um, I glanced at the Stock Doctor Daily Digest. Um, again, looking for big movements in the market. That's where my alerts will come come through oftentimes too for Stock Doctor, so I'll check those out. Uh, I'll glance at Livewire every day, but again, hardly ever click on the, the links unless it's something interesting um, or that catches my interest, but that's uh, not a bad resource. And uh, in my own portfolio, I benchmark it against how the Wilson Asset Management uh, portfolio is going <clears throat> and uh, and stock doc- the Stock Doctor portfolios, or at least the, what they claim their um, Stock Doctor star stocks are doing, which is what I use. So that's probably, you know, what I do in the regular week. Sometimes it's only like five minutes here and there. Uh, and then the other thing is that um, I keep up the discipline of reading and generally most of my books are sometimes it's a novel but they're mainly non-fiction and generally you know autobiographies or biographies around you know, investment types and I've read a couple of good ones recently and we spoke about the Zell, um, the Zell one am I being too subtle I read one a very old one actually from the 70s called Zeckendorf recently it's not on stock investing he's a property investor but it was just a really really great read uh, and quite, you know, quite motivating in terms of problem solving. You know, he's spent his whole career uh, trying to solve property problems and became quite big on it and had a great life too. Uh, oftentimes buying properties would mean they'd take over the business that was underneath it just to get the deal done. And one of them was a, um, one of them was a, uh, <clears throat> like a cabaret, one of those old dinner time supper clubs in New York where he sort of based himself as an officer. And all the big wigs of New York would come by and sit at his table and get they get free drinks and all that. So he made a bit of a career out of it. Interesting read, anyway. Good, good, good fun read. So yeah, so that, I just wanted to sort of expand on what I said last time about what I do between company reporting seasons. Just a lot of reading, basically keeping abreast. Pretty much. Yep, keeping abreast. Yep, and sharpening the saw. Doesn't have to take too much time, but um, you got to be disciplined about it. Yeah. I've been reading uh, Tarantino's new book, The uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Novella, as he calls it. Okay. Uh, have you heard about this? No. He's written the uh, book version of the movie. Um, it expanded on all the stories and, you know, uh, told stories that weren't in the film. And like an old, uh, in the, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, uh, hit films would have a book come out. Afterwards, yeah. sort of uh, the film, the book version of the film. Yeah, he's right. done. He's done his own, and uh, it's okay. good. It's entertaining. Yeah, as you would expect. Oh, have a read. Can I talk to you about the? Can I tell you talk to you about the sell price for BCN? Yeah, sure. So um, I bought BCN a couple of weeks ago, and its share price mm-hmm. has been coming back and looking. I, I was throwing the pricing into the uh, sell price calculator, yep. and I don't think it's uh, working for me. Okay, I'm doing either I'm doing something wrong, or uh, well, let's just go with I'm doing something wrong. That's more likely scenario <laughs> always. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember uh, uh, BC yeah. when we talked about it; it was getting pretty close to its sell, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know when were we talking about that. Don't remember. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, I bought it anyway. Okay. Well, I'm getting a, a low point uh, in December 2016. Yep. Of 0.0027. Uh, yeah, 0.0027, correct. And the second one? Yeah, I think the second one is going to be 
April 2019 at 0.018. Oh, I've got a 0.0206. What have you got? 0.018. Uh, April 2019 at zero, yeah, 0. 0.018. Hmm. Okay. Well, when I put Which that into the calculator. Sorry. Trying to get very close to its sell price now. So I get a target of about thirty-three cents, which is, I think, what a point. Sorry, three point three cents, which is what yeah. I think I put into Stock Doctor anyway. We're just looking at the graph, so okay. Yeah, it's three point four now, so it's pretty close. There you go. Mm. I might have to actually dump something that one. I haven't found before. I just been using it over the last few days. If you go into the Stock Doctor Advanced Charting page, mm-hmm. there are some tabs on the left hand side. One says folders. Mm-hmm. One says events. One says drawing tools. I've been using clicking clicking on drawing tools and using segment under lines. Mm-hmm. If you click on that, then you'll have to close the tab down to get back to the full graph again. Mm-hmm. And then click on the low point. You can draw a line up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um, then if you extrapolate it along to the right axis, gives you the sell price. Oh, right. Does it for you? Rather than just eyeballing it so you get a closer a closer uh, number. Uh, yeah. yeah. Doesn't seem to go all the way to the edge for me. It sort of drops out just at the, oh, uh, okay, it's where it is today. Yeah, it goes as far as their graph does, so partway through the month. Yeah, right. Hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, I found that useful recently, yeah. Very good. All right. Oh, well, thanks for helping me clear that up. That's good. Mm-hmm. Cameron, as always, Cameron error. Um, <laughs> I, I was reading. I was reading an article in the Fin uh, in the last week, and it was talking about the investment strategy known as Dogs of the Dow. Mm. I think we've One of my have favorites. we talked about this before. Yeah, I thought you'd mentioned this before. Possibly. Yeah, it would have been a while ago. I can't recall when. Yeah, it says popularized by contrarian investor Michael O'Higgins in his 1991 book Beating the Dow. It advocates buying the 10 worst performing stocks over the past 12 months from the Dow Jones Industrial Average at the beginning of the year and only selecting dividend paying companies. So you've uh, played with this before? Yeah, it usually gets a good return, not, not as high as QAV, but it's a similar sort of process. It's It's a quick and dirty way of finding value. So he uh, he advocated, I think, taking it. Uh, he said the Dow. It's called Dogs of the Dow, but I think he does say take it from like in Australia to be like the top one hundred or the top two hundred. Right. So he's not taking a lot of small cap stocks, and he's also saying you should take ones that have a dividend yield. So, in other words, management at least think that the company's going to be continuing on because they're paying a dividend and not sort of completely mm-hmm. scrapped for cash. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so uh, and it often works. Um, you won't get QAV numbers, but you might get you'll get above index. I think from it over time, it's like probably twelve or thirteen, maybe fourteen, fifteen percent. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what the numbers are. It would be different from the Dow compared to the ASX, possibly too. But yeah, but the idea is it's a contrarian investment. You're taking a company which is um, a big solid company, and uh, <clears throat> you're buying it when it's cheap. Right, and so yeah. the, the 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 value side of things comes from the fact that if they were the worst performers from last year, but they may not be ongoing. Sometimes they are, but um, you know, if you think about in Australia, that would probably be socks like Flight Centre, which you know had a bad year because of COVID. But if you know if, if things lift next year, which they probably 
well, which you hope they will, we get international travel back and more cross-border travel within Australia, then you should see them um, improve. So, you know, Flight Centre, Qantas, um, I'm not sure what's on the list this year for dogs at the Dow, but it'll be companies like that. And the idea is that, you know, a good year follows a bad year, that they'll, um, if it's something external like that, hopefully the extern- externality clears up after 12 months, but if it's something internal, management's going to be working pretty hard at fixing it, you know, going forward. Mine might even be a dogs at the Dow, I'm not sure. In the... Um Article in the Financial Review, he was saying uh, A2 Milk was the biggest dog on the ASX 100 last year. It fell 67.8%. But uh, And let that be a lesson to growth stock investors, by the way. A2 Milk was always on the top of everyone's buy list and it had a high PE and was, you know, it was a river of gold flying into China, and China went, no, don't want you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, A2M, I'm just looking at its chart. Whoa, yeah. And I think from memory I read in today's paper that A2 Milk bought some other kind of maybe a nutrient company or a nutritional company in New Zealand. So they're, they're madly trying to diversify away, I guess, from selling um, milk into China. Uh, and I think they still do quite a bit of that, but I think it's not as big as it was. So, yeah, management will, will diversify and work work out a way of becoming more profitable because they're under huge amounts of pressure to do that, uh, and chances are this year might be good. Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about Duncan and the uh, mystery of the reducing scores. Yes, that was it's- a good question, good pickup from Duncan. It's like it's my so, attempt at a uh, Sherlock Holmes type novel, yeah, the right. mystery of the reducing scores. So uh, yeah, Duncan yeah. shot me an email and he said, "Hey, I just noticed that in Andrew's version of the checklist, if you give a stock uh, a score for consistently increasing equity, if you give it a one, its QAV score goes down, and if you give it a zero, it also goes down." He said, is this a bug in the uh, checklist? And I asked Andrew and he said, well, I think that's the same coding I got out of Tony's checklist. And I checked with you and you said, yeah, no, that's actually, you wrote this lengthy email that even if I hadn't been on holidays in Bundaberg, I wouldn't have been able to understand. It just kind of crushed my brain with all of this Really? Mathematics and stuff. Yeah, I was just oh, like, Andrew wow. did, or, or you did, you did, and then I forwarded it to Andrew, and he said, "Oh, yeah, that makes total sense." What he's saying is, and I couldn't understand his email either. <laughs> so, and I think Duncan came back. I forwarded it to Duncan, and he said, "I don't understand it, but okay." And I was like, "Oh, glad I'm not the only one." <laughs> so, can you explain Let's- it in English for us? Why giving it a positive score for consistently increasing equity would reduce its QAV score, not bump it up, Tony? Yeah, so why is it so? <laughs> Sound on a funnel, supported by string, slight push. Yeah, so it, it's first of all, it doesn't, it's not um, just related to increasing equity, it's related to any score on the checklist. And a couple of, couple of points. So the checklist, I think there's something like 18 items on the checklist. So we only. The numerator for the checklist is the score. So some, sometimes you get one, sometimes you get two, sometimes you get zeros, sometimes you get minus ones. The 
denominator is the number of items that you've been scored on in the checklist. So if you don't, if you have gaps for things like, you know, um, more than six PEs or, um, or if you haven't got a PE, if you don't have an owner, founder, all those kinds of things, um, <clears throat> sometimes you can get, uh, you don't get scored on that metric. So uh, you'll get, uh, so some companies might have, for example, a score of four out of four. So they've achieved a one score for four items and they've only had four items that we can score them on. So they get 100%. Mm-hmm. So then if they, if you then say, as in Duncan's case, let's look at the increasing equity. Oh, okay, they get a five, they get another one for that. So they're now getting five out of five. So it's still 100%. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> increasing equity doesn't add to their QIV score. It's 100%. If there's, if in that case, if there was four out of four and one of them was, um, well, if, if they scored four out of four, <clears throat> then the next thing we scored them on was say on, uh, is it a record PE and they received a score of two, then they'll go to six out of four. So six 120%. Six out of five, sorry. Yeah. So whatever that works out to be, 115% or something. Um, if they then add another one, it becomes seven out of six and the percentage actually goes down a little bit. So right. that's how the QAV score can go down if they have a, a funny one in, in between. Uh, like a, if, they, if they've scored a two at some stage and then we start adding ones, the percentage actually goes down. So it's just maths. It's just maths. The other way of doing it, which I – um, had used originally and then rejected was if you just add up the score, right? So years ago, yeah. <clears throat> if if in the case of this company it got a score of four out of all the possible 17 or 18 items, then you know, how does that compare with a company that actually could score 17 items but only got a score of four? And I, you know, my sort of... Um, experience at the time said that this, the company which scored four out of four was a better company than the one that scored four out of 18. Mm-hmm. So the, score, the company that scored four out of 18 had lots of failures in it. And so mm-hmm. then I changed it to a percentage basis. And mm-hmm. so this company with four out of four gets 100, the company of four out of 18 gets whatever that is, you know, 20% or whatever the number is. Um, and that's how, how you, you get a better quality score. And then that got sort of bastardized because I started um, – giving some twos and some minus ones. And so you get these strange occurrences where you can have more than 100%. And mm-hmm. if you add one more to the checklist, that reduces the percentage. So, um, But I think the bigger point, so Duncan's absolutely correct. The, the first thing is I think we should use the percentage rather than just the, the sum of the scores because that mm-hmm. solves the problem where someone gets lots of bad scores. Um, and then uh, what we're – even though the percentage can change by a little bit, and we're talking sort of maybe five to ten percent when these things happen, the score can go down. It's still it's still going to be unlikely that it will change the ranking on the QAV list because we're also then dividing it by the price to operating cash flow. So you'd have to find a company that had this, exactly the same price to operating cash flow and a very similar, if not the same, quality score before you know, that sort of little micro change in the percentage for quality score would, would throw it to a different ranking. And even then it would only be one one slot on the ladder. So it never really worried me that that, that, that sort of anomaly with the math was happening. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, that's good. Mm. We should, yeah. you know, read your email that simply. I would have understood it. I did write it that simply. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, yeah. Duncan and I beg to disagree, but uh, apparently Andrew understood really? it. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Lachlan and uh, James. Lachlan Dixon for posting his charts on Facebook mm. and James Simpson for jump Simpson. Bleh, James Simpson for jumping in with his thoughts and then also to Cosman who posted his scorecard and charts again this week. Uh, good on you guys. Great to see folks uh, taking the plunge and posting their own stuff up there and uh, getting better at it and, uh, you know, just sort of uh, asking the community and you and I to uh, have a look at what they're doing. Terrific stuff. So I uh, want to encourage that, as we said yeah, last time. I do too. And I've done a download now so I can have a look at them and compare them to my scores too and talk about any differences, which is good. So what should happen. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1, as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe. Good luck with your investing and we'll be back next week.